Well, I grew up in a very loud family. Yes. And I did not. You grew up in a quiet family. Rel- relative. Rel- I mean, to like your you family, had a yeah. lot more people mm-hmm. in your family. So maybe that's what it is. Like maybe when there's more people in a family, everyone's like, okay, there's a lot of noise. We have to be quiet. You know, <laughs> like there's a lot of us. And if we start to get loud, it's going to get too loud. And then there's going to be newspaper stories about us. Mm, that could be. Uh... Whereas my family, it's a very small family. And we're all loud people, so it's all we better yell to be heard, mm-hmm. even though none of us know what we're saying. Or bother listening to the other. Yeah, that's kind of the big one. Yeah. Not a lot of listening. <laughs> it's a good thing you've moved on from that. <laughs> I love that we're doing this on Mother's Day. Like your shirt. Thank you. Thanks. This is uh, this is a shock tale hour with Aurora Gorealis t-shirt mm-hmm. from the WNUF Big Cartel site. It is pretty fucking sweet. So yeah, thank you. It's a very smart shirt. Great. I talk. like your shirt actually. That's great. That looks like uh, Evil Dead Woods. Thanks. Yeah, it's just it's a Goodwill find. Are you serious? Yeah. That's sweet. I thought so. I was gonna say I bet you paid fifty dollars for that shirt. Nope. Nope. I paid like three dollars for this. That's shirt. amazing. Anyway, okay. Um. All right. Hi, Andy. Hi. 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 Hi, and welcome to Look Good for the Boys, a horror gossip podcast. I'm Philip. I'm Andy. Mm-hmm, that's true. So, hey, welcome back to the next episode of season five. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> How long do you think we could ride that out? Like, do you think that we could like be like, hey, we're back? You know, like well into the season. No, I feel like if you do it more than two or three episodes in, it's awkward. Yeah. It's kind of like saying Happy New Year too far into January. Yeah. 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 You get like two weeks of yeah. Happy New Year and then it's I think weird. two weeks is too much. Really? Yeah. Ten days? I, 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 I'm going to say seven days. Of course you will. Seven days. Yeah. That's it. You know, you're right. Because when you reach Elvis's birthday... Then you have other things to focus on. <laughs> yeah, you have to January say happy, happy like, Elvis's birthday. That's yeah. what the thing is then. Duh. Everybody knows that. If you say happy new year after seven days, Samara comes out of the TV and gets you. Today we are covering the Boogeyman trilogy <laughs> the from bo- the 2000s. <laughs> we, in celebration of Stephen King's Rob Savage's The Boogeyman opening in theaters, we are not going with... The original idea that I had to look at other Stephen King night shift adaptations, and we are not doing the Uli Lommel, the Boogeyman, both which both of us love. Mm-hmm. We are saying no. <laughs> that is not our brand. Nope. <laughs> our brand runs to the vertical stack. Our brand is to cover the movies that other podcasts don't have the courage to cover. I doubt other podcasts know these movies exist. <laughs> yeah because well yeah because like at least gen z podcasts probably have never heard of these movies but it's also like 
not only is it not, it, we have to go with the movies that aren't being talked about, but we also have to go with what our brand is, which is to defend the movie. Because other podcasts, would, if they are covering the Boogeyman trilogy, it's probably not to praise them, but to bury them. We are covering them with sympathy. I feel like a lot of podcasts would not have sympathy for these movies. We do. I have sympathy for two of the three. Yeah, okay. Well, and we'll get into that. Yeah. But I also, and I, I, I think I'm with you. We have not discussed this yet. No. And I, but I think I'm with you. But I also have a case to be made for the other one. Oh, God. Which, is, which leads us to what our segment is, which is it's been a while since we've done a Say Something Nice. Because we here at Look Good for the Boys understand that sometimes we can come off as mean girls. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's our whole thing. Yeah. And sometimes we are, even sometimes when we're defending things, I feel like we're like... We can be shitty. <laughs> we can be shitty. But like to acknowledge that, we like to do a segment called Say Something Nice, where we look at movies... That maybe people don't love, maybe yeah. have a bad reputation, maybe have low Rotten Tomatoes scores. And we say, we got we to gotta get that movie's confidence back up. Yeah, we want to boost them. Yeah. We're, we're here to make sure they can get through the day. Yeah. Not to point out what they did wrong. Nope. But to say, hey, girl, you might be a mess, but you'll pull through. Mm-hmm. And yeah, this is all strength-based. It's all confidence-boosting. We just want to give these movies something to hold on to when they're in their darkest hours Yeah, by telling them what they did right. And, and we're, yeah, we're not trying to fix these movies. No. No, we're not giving them a makeover. We're no. not she's all thatting them. No, we're just simply... We need, we, need her, we need she to understand that the all that is in herself. Yeah, exactly. The, <laughs> the that was there all along. Yeah, we did nothing. <laughs> we did nothing to give you all that. <laughs> You all added on your own. So shall we talk about these movies? Yes, let's talk about them. Okay, so we'll start with 2005's Boogeyman. Yes. The only one of these three to be released in theaters. Yes, the theatrical, uh, the, the lone theatrically released Boogeyman movie of the Boogeyman trilogy. Of the 2000s. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, there is no other Boogeyman trilogy. Yeah, because the other one, the Uli Lomo had a sequel. But not a third. Yeah. Really quick, before we get into the first Boogeyman. Mm-hmm. I just, without making any specific comments, I'm just trying to get a gauge of how we're coming at this. Okay. I, I want to know what your fuck, Mary kills are for these three movies. Oh, yeah, let's, yeah. No yeah. specifics, just like, give me your fuck, Mary kills. I feel like there's only one right answer to this. But... I, yeah, I'm, I'm going to say this because I'm also going to throw some fuck, Mary kills at you later. Yeah. And I feel like there are obvious answers, obvious ontologically, empirically correct answers for those two. And I also feel like that's the way of this. Although, all right. I'm just going to do it. Yeah, My Mary it. is huh, three. What? Wait, what? I knew that's, I, I <gasps> knew this was going to shock you. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm fucking three. See, two is more of a fuck for me. Two's my Mary. Three's my fuck. Two's my Mary. One, one is, is a both kill. of our yeah, kills. I think one is everyone's kill. Yeah. Let's, I'm going to be honest before we get into it. These mo- this series perfectly illustrates what it is I love about the DTV era. And like what filmmakers were maybe allowed to get away with. And the that's the thing is both of these sequels are better than the original theatrically released film. And it, you're right. It is the direct-to-video elements of them. Yeah. If these movies had been really... I, first of all, I don't think these movies would have been made with an intent to be released theatrically. Mm-hmm. And if they were, they wouldn't be these movies. Right. Like they would have continued going the direction that the first movie went in and making the same mistakes. 
So, acknowledging that 2005's Boogeyman is our kill. Is our kill. Is a great segue into saying something nice about <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. We're going to kill you, but it's not because of you're pretty. Yeah. You are pretty. It's not because you're ugly. <laughs> this is going to be the hardest one for me to talk about, and I'll tell you why. It's... I, this is probably the third, maybe the fourth time I've seen it, mm-hmm. including, you know, when I saw it in theaters. Yeah. I still don't remember it. <laughs> like, I, I remember very little about it. And then I just watched it like two days yeah, ago. Yeah, this, I will say this, I've watched all three of these movies in the last couple of years. And going back into the first one again, I was like, wait, what is this movie again? Mm-hmm. And it's because it's, inc- <laughs> to get the bad out of the way. It's incredibly forgettable. Yeah. It bears all of the marks of the mid 2000s, like the end tale of what the early 2000s horror movies were doing as far as like trying to be broadly appealing, like trying to get like teenagers on dates, kids, family, like trying to go four quadrant with a horror movie that all the PG 13. And I want to say I am not uh, someone who just blanket hates PG 13 horror movies. No. Even that era, like The Ring is PG-13, and I regard it as one of the greatest American horror movies of all time. There's a lot of good PG-13 horror, but this era of PG-13 horror, there were a lot, especially studio-driven PG-13 horror, there were a lot of mistakes being made. Mm -hmm. And this movie was made by Ghost House, which is Sam Raimi and Rob Tappert's company. And I think that they were trying to get it to be, you know, kind of a tentpole for their production company. It was only their second release, I think, and they were trying to get it to be wildly successful so that they would have more money to do probably stuff that was more appealing to them like as producers and it shows <laughs> like it shows that that they're just it's just horror soup yeah yeah horror soup is a good yeah. word for it pg13 inoffensive horror soup but let's say some yeah, nice things okay, to right, to fine. our friend boogeyman like what is she doing right first of all emily deschanel Mm-hmm. Bones? Yep. The movie could have benefited from more of her. Agreed. And I think the movie knew that she was one of the few things it had going for it. She's very good. She is. Even in a character that doesn't really have much going on. Well, yeah. I mean, she makes the most out of that role. She makes the role memorable. The role yeah. itself is not memorable. Yeah. I guess I like the opening. <laughs> The I do like the opening a lot, actually. I mean, minus some of the editing, I I, I will say the atmosphere in this film. When it's not trying, yeah. like sometimes it's just trying really hard to be like, look at this spooky thing, look at this spooky thing. Yeah. When it's just like letting the scenery be, it's yeah. it's really good. Like it's yeah. it's a really nice moody film. Yeah, it's it's moody and it's well shot. It's really well shot. The cinematographer, the the DP is Bobby Bukowski, who did I mean, he's been, he'd been working for, like, a long time by the time he made this movie. And in some pretty, like, notable releases. Arlington Road, I think, is the big one mm-hmm. <laughs> that he did. And this movie has the same kind of mood as that film when it's really working well. As far as, like, trying to highlight the paranoia and, like, do some cool shots and create, you know, a look. And it does. It, it has a look. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, the, the substance of the movie very rarely... Sorry, I got to stop. I got to stop pointing I mean, this thing yeah. out. I mean, it was written by the husband and wife writing team of Juliet Snowden and Styles White, who did Ouija, uh-huh. which is another PG-13 horror movie that makes the same mistakes of this movie and a lot of other theatrically released PG-13 horror. And The Possession, which is another one of those. 
Mm-hmm. Although it might have been, I don't know if that was PG-13. But then it was also the creator of Supernatural, Eric Kripke. And then it was directed by a New Zealander who mostly does TV and he did the Get Carter remake. So like, that's what we're working with here. It's got a 13% critic score and a 21% audience score on Rotten Tomatoes. That, that feels fair. That feels fair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I will say, yeah, I do like the opening. Because that, if you're a kid and you saw this, that would be a good gateway to horror for you. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing. I do suspect that like we talk about you know, people maybe not knowing about this movie. But I feel like there probably are some like 20 somethings out there, you know, who like this was something that they were able to see early yeah. in their in their horror fandom and it might have like had an impact. Kicked it into gear. Yeah. So yeah, going back, the opening is it's well shot. It's yeah. it's crafted pretty well with some I, exceptions. You know what I love in it is what? the bird. The fake bird the on the mobile that uh, like flaps its wings and makes a noise. And then that comes back later. Mm-hmm. Like that was a good setup for that tag that comes later. And I like that he puts the action figure in the drawer. Like that's the thing that's scaring him. Mm-hmm. And then the thing with the bat and the clothes on the chair. Yeah. And then it gets, that's a good I, that beat. That is a great beat. Yeah. When that thing gets up is great. I also really like the stinger where it's like, oh, it's the dad that gets got. Yeah. You know, yeah. like that's good. Yeah. And the other movie's the next movie does that too. It has a little prologue, a little like, hey, this happened when people were kids and now we're following what that did to them years later as adults. Mm-hmm. And I like that. I remember when I, that was one thing that stuck out to me when I saw it in the theater, when it does the 10 years later bit and it's Tim, our lead, and they're showing the like, that he doesn't have any doors in his apartment. Mm-hmm. And he's taken all the doors off their hinges, and like all of his stuff is in like clear plastic storage. Like I liked that. I was like, that is cool. They didn't do it right, because why would he still have the doors sitting there? You know, he would have right. put those in storage or something. So, but it was, I was like, that's a cool idea. I like that we get a little character detail there. They didn't really do much with it. Again, hey, good nice. idea, Boogeyman. Yeah. That's a good idea you had, and I liked it. You should develop that more. And you should do de- yeah. <laughs> yeah, work on that one. And that's also, that's a thing that I remember about it from seeing it, what, 20, almost 20 years ago? Mm-hmm. 18 years ago. Also, while we're on the subject of doors and closets, I, I don't feel like they do enough with this, but I do kind of like this idea of like, you know, the teleporting closets. Yeah, me too. Me too. Like, I thought you were going to talk about how there's like, you know, maybe an arguable queer subtext here. Okay. With Tim being super scared of being trapped in closets. Oh, and and also when he gets really angry at the closet. Yes. And like kicks it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there yep. could be. Yep. So maybe. He feels very out of place with every woman he interacts with. Right. Right. None of it. You, I don't pick up romantic vibes between him and any of the women that he interacts with. I mean, you Sorry. might be onto something. The way that the dinner is shot with Jessica's family is is shot really weird. Yeah, like it's very strange. Yeah. And so maybe it's meant to like enhance how how he doesn't belong there, right? You know, but not because he not doesn't because fit of the family. Yeah, it's but not because, a class issue. No, it's because he's gay. It's because he's gay, and they all know it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of Jessica, who <laughs> she sucks. So bad. She's really terrible. <laughs> and her, like, and I kind of love it. She's almost like a Melissa, a little Melissa in training. She's constantly disregarding everything Tim feels and thinks. And she has a weird accent. And that's just because it's, she's from New Zealand. 
Oh. This movie is full of people with weird accents because they're all New Zealand actors doing American dialects, and you can hear the strain in it. It's so weird. It is. And yeah. I think in Jessica, it's particularly noticeable. And I, there's something I love about it. I don't know. It feels unreal. It feels weird. Yeah, I can see that. Like It's like the uncanny valley of American accents. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You're like, is she even human? Is she AI? What is going on? Is this an alien masquerading <laughs> as a human? But yeah, she still sucks. I was not, I was not sad when we lost her. No, she's a, she's like a bad, unsupportive person, mm-hmm. and is constantly only interested in her own needs and how things look. And it's like she makes this big deal about like how much she hates her family, but it also seems like well, she doesn't hate them, but she's doing the like. Oh, they don't get you. But she also like uses him to like make them uncomfortable. That scene where she's like, did you see the look on his face? She loves that she made everyone uncomfortable at that table. And that's where she gets kind of Melissa vibes to me. Yeah. Yeah. It's like she's dating Tim just yeah, yeah. to say fuck you. The yeah. Fam. She's like dating this guy who's not her class. Not that you know what I mean? Who also is what an orphan? No. Uh, well, his mom dies his mom, at the beginning. Yeah. 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 Sorry. So. Of- the film yeah. right he gets the call that she's dead but she's institutionalized so he's functionally or- an orphan yeah doesn't really have any a family like his dad died when he was a kid and his mother's been institutionalized mm-hmm. for a long time so like she's got this big family he doesn't she's you know higher class he's working class and also he has this like unresolved trauma <laughs> that she knows about so yeah she's dating him to be like i don't know to get back at her parents or something to like get back at her brother for something. It's it's really shitty and she's a shitty person. Yeah, even when they're in the hotel and Tim's like, I'll put on something naughty. That feels so fake, so forced. Tim's gay. Here's the thing. If he's straight, he's so boring. He's already so boring in this movie. He's just another white guy, a cis white guy in a sweater, like who's like upset about stuff. Yeah. Right. And it's one of those things that mo- usually these movies do with female characters where it's like her only, his only personality is trauma. Mm-hmm. You know, he doesn't have anything outside of that really. So he's like a really boring protagonist unless you apply a queer read to it. The closet read. That's the only thing that could make him interesting. Yeah. Now I want to rewatch this with that read and I bet I might actually enjoy yeah. it more. Unless it falls the fuck apart, like upon any analysis, <laughs> which is entirely possible. But it's just an idea. It does feel like it's there. Yeah. Okay. Movies about monsters in closet is not hard to force a gay read on it. (laughs) Very, very (laughs) true. Yeah. If only he had a copy of the game Probe in his in his closet, that would give us a better window. Yeah. Or if he like had a room cleaning scene with music. (laughs) There's no way Tim could ever be that interesting. The other thing about this movie is that like it wants to be an elegant atmospheric ghost story but it also feels like it's pulling in this direction of like focusing on jump scares and violence but like it's pg-13 so you can't show any violence really so all the violence that's in it it's like why are you focusing on that just do something weird instead which is why i like the bird crashing into the windshield and i like you know that opening again is like if it were to focus on that stuff it would be cool Mm -hmm. but then it's like it just doesn't, it's not the kind of movie it wants to be. I mean, the movie is Tim. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's yeah, his personality. Yeah. Like, it's just not, it's too uninteresting to push any boundaries. That's very, oh my God, that's so true. 
Because, yeah, it's like Tim, when he's trying to be sexual, it's like, I don't buy that. Right. When he's, tr- when he's talking about vodka, again, that feels like, it feels like a nerd talking about drinking, you know? Totally. It's just like that, you know, that's not you, man. Be you. Be you, boogeyman. Yeah. Come out of you that have, closet. There's something in there that we love. Come out of the closet and then and be yourself and you'll really get to thrive. Mm-hmm. That's the thing. It feel, you can feel it wanting to thrive, but it just can't get out of that closet. Yeah, you know what? Honestly, that's probably the nicest thing we can say <laughs> yeah, about this movie. The closet of mid mid aughts PG thirteen horror. <laughs> that's the closet it's trapped in. Right down to the CGI boogeyman. Mm-hmm. It's just like it can't break out of these shitty conventions that are like restricting its its good heart. You know, mm-hmm. I feel like this movie is underthought and overshot. I love that. Right? Thought overshot. I was really proud of that when I came up with that. <laughs> I guarantee somebody's done that before. But yeah, I, I mean, in summary, I would just say the nice thing I say about this movie is that all the pieces are there. Just none of them are given enough attention and love and care. Yeah. Just like Tim growing yeah. up. Yeah, exactly. And even like some of the stuff like the the Franny, right? The You see the reveal with Franny being spoilers. A ghost. Who cares? <laughs> Who cares? <laughs> a ghost. You see that coming a mile away. I mean, you the see it when she, you see her. The first time you see her, you're like, that little girl is a ghost, and that's all there is to that. So I don't know why we're wasting any time here right. with this. And that's the thing. If it would just acknowledge right away and then give us a Tim that's like, yep, I'm. this is where I'm at in my journey as I'm talking to ghosts. Mm-hmm. Then automatically it's like, okay, I would respect this movie a lot more. And that's a thing the sequels do. Well, man, we get, we should rewatch it with the closet thing in mind because now that I'm thinking about it, there's a scene where he gets, when he's trapped in the closet and he just sits down and starts laughing like a maniac. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, hmm, maybe, maybe that's there. It, it could be. And you know what? Nobody cares enough about this movie to try to give it that read. So maybe it needs to be us. Yeah, I think it needs to be us. So join us for uh, Pride Month in which we're just going to be covering 2005's Boogeyman for all four <laughs> weeks of Pride. Okay, we're not doing that, but I, I'd be willing to do a, a throw a bonus episode of, oh my God, new segment idea. What? Like coming out of the closet. Oh, wow. Coming out of the closet, yeah. Boogeyman 2005. Does this movie have a queer read? Mm-hmm. Yes or no? <laughs> when he's in the closet and he pulls the recorder out, I love that. I love that he plays the little little tune on the recorder. Mm. That is great. So you did good there. Yeah, it is like Tim. Yeah. It's like, I like your sweater, Tim. Now figure out the rest of your shit. <laughs> you know who it is? It's like that that like wallflower kid in class that nobody pays attention to, but then every once in a while will say something where you're just like, you might be interesting. Yeah. I'd really yeah. like if you would actually just say more. Yeah. I feel like moving on, both of the sequels do that. More or less, I feel like Boogeyman 2 and Boogeyman 3 are Boogeyman coming out of the closet. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, you're so right. And being like, we are comfortable being what we are. Mm-hmm. So now let's do it. And they do it. So should we talk about it? Let's talk about it. I mean, here's the thing about Boogeyman 2 and Boogeyman 2 and 3. <laughs> the, the Boogeyman, Boogeyman sequel. The Boogeyman's? <laughs> Is that it's not going to be that hard to say something nice about it. No. And that's why, to me, I feel like when we get to Boogeyman 2 and Boogeyman 3, it's no longer say something nice. It's a segment that I want to do called, Hey, She's My Friend. Of course, in this case, we're going to be like, Hey, they're my friends. Because they're both my friends. 
where it's like, you know, when you hear somebody talking shit about somebody oh, and, and you're, you're like, like hey, hey, they're my friend. They're my friend. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I, you know what? I think Boogeyman 2 and 3 would both use they, them pronouns separately anyway. <laughs> Even though the title <laughs> has man, but that's fine. Yeah. You can be masculine. You know, you can be a he, they. Mm-hmm. I feel like the Boogeyman movies are he, they. Although 3, 3's got some feminine energy in that Boogeyman. Okay, well, let's start let's, with two. Yeah, okay. Um, okay, so now now we're changing. We're starting a new segment here, folks. Brand new. You heard it first here. With Boogeyman 2 from 2007. Hey, they're my friend. Hey, they're my friend. <laughs> let's see what the masses say about Boogeyman 2. Okay, so there is no critic score for Boogeyman 2 on Rotten Tomatoes. Okay. Because it's there's only three reviews, so they don't have enough to aggregate. You know, of those three reviews, one is negative and two are positive. The negative review is from Scott Weinberg, of formerly of Fearnet. Hey, Scott Weinberg, Boogeyman 2 is my friend. <laughs> but it's got an audience score of 34%, which that's higher than the 21% afforded to Boogeyman. But mm-hmm. I feel like it's not high enough. No, it deserves more. Yeah, I'm going to say this about Boogeyman 2 and Boogeyman 3. I feel like if these movies were Italian... Vinegar Syndrome or Severin or somebody would be putting them out on Blu-ray. Yeah. With like loaded with features and they would be embraced. But because they're like of the DTV, American DTV era, they get like overlooked. And they're both worth looking at. Quick question about that. When you're thinking about the DTV era, I mean, because that's that's a broad era. We're basically like 80s through the 2000s a little. Yeah. Um, I mean, now it's like direct to streaming. But that said, do you think it's just it hasn't been long enough yet? Because I feel like people are starting the horror community is starting to like embrace the 90s. The 90s. Yeah. the, The 90s bit of the DTV era is starting to be embraced. There, There are 90s DTV things being put out. So maybe in the next like boutiques. five years, we will find these movies being revisited. I, I would like to think so. I do think that in the next few years in general, we're going to get a revisitation or a reassessment of the mid-aughts in just in general, because there's a lot of stuff in that era that I think gets unfairly overlooked. I think I've said that several times on this show. Yeah. But the DTV era, yeah, I think that's going to be part of that. The DTV stuff from that era, from that age, I think is going to be part of that, of people being like, actually, Boogeyman 2 is pretty interesting. So let's talk about it. Let's talk about Boogeyman 2 being actually pretty interesting. You might think she's boring, but she's my friend, and I'm not friends with boring people. No. And honestly, Boogeyman 2 is anything but boring. Boogeyman 2 has so much going on. So we have Laura and Henry Porter, who when they are kids... A boogeyman comes and kills their parents. Yeah. And or, it, somebody comes and kills their parents. And we it's very clear right off the bat that this ain't your granddad's boogeyman. <laughs> this isn't your older brother's boogeyman. This is a boogeyman. It's not CGI, and it's treated like a slasher, like right off the bat when they witness their parents getting murdered. It's like physical murder. It's, it's not there's nothing supernatural no, about it. It's an it. aggressive hooded slasher. Mm-hmm. Uh, boogeyman two is a slasher movie. Yeah, Boogeyman Two is a slasher movie, but also through the lens of like, through like the filter of like Saw and that kind of feel, you know? It's got like a new metal energy to it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it also feels Italian. You could tell me if it weren't for the presence of certain actors, certain recognizable actors, mm-hmm. and if the movie had been like overdubbed, you could give this to me for the first time saying it's an Italian Saw ripoff. And I would believe it. Mm-hmm. That's what it feels like. 
So, yeah. 10 years later, Henry has gone to this fear clinic, a phobia clinic run by Tobin Bell, <laughs> Dr. Mitchell Allen. Mitchell Allen. Yeah. And been cured. So he convinces his traumatized sister to also go where yeah. we meet this cast of lovable Nightmare on Elm Street 3 Dream Warriors. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Who all have their own individual fear. Yeah. That then the boogeyman comes and starts to exploit. Yes. And when Laura starts thinking that the boogeyman is back, nobody's really buying it. Nope. Nope. And then people die one by one. Yeah. So that's the first thing that this movie does so much better, is it understands, look, if we're going to be focusing on the violent nature of these murders, we need to not be PG-13. We need to embrace, you know, the fact that we don't need to be rated to get this movie in video stores. And how? I mean, like yeah. the, the oh, deaths God. are kind of, for the most part, pretty fucking gruesome. They're they're gruesome and imaginative. Mm-hmm. Like it's not just uh, look. And I love great gore. Don't get me wrong. Of give course. me a graphic like head splitting open, and I don't give a shit if it's an imaginative one. It's like, hey, show me that. That looks great. But also, there's like they're they're thematic. They are related, <laughs> even if it's only tangentially to the phobias of these people. But I almost love that. It's like using the phobia as a jumping off point to do something fucking weird. Every one of them. It's like, oh, he's afraid of the dark, so we're starting with it going dark, but then something weird is going to happen. Yeah. Yeah, like, whereas the first Boogeyman movie would have just had that character disappear. Right. This movie, we get a really great Gloria the nurse finds him split in half, and there's like a slow gradual reveal of it like with little snippets and every snippet you see a little bit more and then you think like oh this is surely they're not going to show us in the full light this thing and not only do they do that but like the body falls oh my god <laughs> it's so guts good. spill out like it is great and when that happens like already the prologue kill of the parents it's pretty aggressive mm-hmm. and it, it makes it very clear very early on like because, yeah, you see, like, bits of intestines of the dad's te- intestines coming out. It's like, no, we're really going for it. And then every single kill. That's another thing, is it ramps it up a little bit more each time. Mm-hmm. The kills aren't just, like, they don't even just stay at a plateau of gruesome. No, it's they like, get worse. They get worse. And meaner. <laughs> and way meaner. And funnier. Yeah. Oh, my God. The I think it's the final. Yes. Well, the final, like. Darren? No, the one after that. The final, oh. like, set piece death is where it's like a full set piece that's like exploiting some oh, of the character's fear. Oh my God, I, is yes. so fucking brutal. Yes. Nikki. Nikki, wow. Where she basically is getting like liposuction and then the fat shoved in down her throat and into her stomach where yeah. she explodes yeah. all over um, Laura. Yeah. Is so, great. So that's another thing we should talk about is this movie, it is talking about a lot of really serious issues that people struggle with. It's talking about you know, again, it's the horror genre. You're going to talk about fears. You're going to talk about anxieties. That can get personal, mm-hmm. and it can get triggering. And so there are characters in this movie, and I think she's the big one, Nikki. She's bulimic. She has an eating disorder. She's her phobia is she's quote afraid of gaining weight. I I didn't That's, do any research. I don't know how valid that is. Is it? I I don't know. Here's the thing. Don't come to the Boogeyman movies for actual insight into psychological science, you know? Right. (laughs) Yeah, Dr. Allen is a terrible doctor. There are no good therapists in these movies. And Dr. Ryan, too. She sucks. Dr. Ryan really sucks. Dr. Allen is the worst. So it's exploitative. Mm -hmm. And it it can probably be offensive. 
So with that in mind, you know, this movie is not treating these things like they're, they, they are gimmicks. But Although what I would say to that, though, that I appreciate about this movie is, and this is very Nightmare 3, yeah. is that the authorities are exploitative yeah. and the killer is exploitative, but like the kids themselves... Well, they're shitty to each other. They are shitty but, to each other, but they also respect each other's fears. And it is that way. It's sort of like the way that the kids are shitty to each other in Nightmare Three, mm-hmm. where it's like you. This is how they communicate with well, each other. They're broken people, they're, like trapped inside exactly. An institution. They, they're deeply wounded people struggling with stuff in a in an environment that isn't actually helpful to them. Mm-hmm. And so this is. But they do seem exactly. They respect each other's fears. They respect each other's things. When it is serious, they do care about each other. Like, even the shitty characters, even Darren and Nikki, who are explicitly presented as antagonists mm-hmm. to our lead, who also, you know, is not a squeaky clean person. Laura is also kind of a shitty person in a number of ways. Mm-hmm. You know? Like, the I, film doesn't let her off either. No, not at all. I mean, these are this is a group of messy people. Yeah. One line, it's my favorite line in this movie, I think, or at least one of them that I think is so telling about exactly what we're talking about is after after Paul dies, they're crying, like Mae Whitman's character, Allison, is crying in and, the and, room. And then fucking Darren says that comment about like, well, it's just one less person whining in group and her response. And oh my God, the delivery is so great. Yes. Where she's like, you know, you might want to watch how hard you sell that. Yeah. Like it's calling she, him out. Like he's trying to sell this like thing that he be, like that he doesn't even believe. That's the other thing. Sometimes the dialogue in this movie isn't great. Mm-hmm. but it is so much better than the dialogue in Boogeyman. Oh, like yeah, they sure. really understood how people talk to each other and what subtext is, you know? And like some of it's a little like when Darren's like got Nikki looking in the mirror and is like, try fixing yourself. And it's like, Oh, he doesn't mean that he's doing that because it's literally the only thing he can say to her. That's going to get her to hate him and leave. Yeah. And he needs her to hate him because if she cares about him, that's what he's afraid of. You know, I love that. And it never spells that out. Even the scene where he says it's not just being outside because he's agoraphobic. Mm -hmm. He says it's not just being outside. It's the people that are out there. And then bit by bit, you kind of like start to read like through the tape that's played for him as he's getting killed. His the way he turns on Nikki after they they're intimate together. Like you see what he's doing. And it is actually maybe kind of a somewhat accurate presentation of th- this kind of a trauma response. Mm-hmm. Like, and it never stops to be like, this is exactly what he's doing and why. You know, you kind of have to see that in, in it yourself. So it's kind of great. There's, <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of genius moments like that. Another thing, like with our protagonist, you know, you mentioned that she's a flawed person. A lot of like her aspects of being the quote unquote final girl are, I don't want to say full subversions of the tropes, but they're definitely playing with them in the sense that like her trying to solve this is actually making the situation worse, yeah, but in these really subtle ways that are just like stretching everybody a little too thin. And there's this moment that I just think is so telling of like her as a final girl. And I fucking love it so much. There's three of them left that they know of. It's Laura, Darren and Nikki and the two Nikki and Darren go into Darren's room, leaving <laughs> Laura to go to the basement by herself to try to t- get the power back on and get help. And she like opens the door and, in any other horror movie with the final girl, you would either have her, you know, this kind of joke being like, fuck that, you know, yeah. or her just being like pushing through and powering through. And instead you just get this moment where she looks and she just turns away. 
Yeah. It's like very underplayed yeah. for a movie yeah. like this. I and remember, I love it. I remember watching that scene a couple times to make sure I hadn't missed anything. Because I was like, wait, is there any resolution here? And it's like, no, there isn't. She just goes back to her room. Yeah. There's no, re- there's, there, and there's a few scenes like that where it's like, is this where she's going to face it? Nope. 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 It's kind of great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it, it really leans into the traits of a final girl with her that are detrimental to a final girl's mission. You know, the traits that are like going to get people to think she's fucking crazy, mm-hmm. you know, so it, it is playing with that, too. And but not in and like an aggressive movie, way. The next movie does it as well. Both of these movies really just take the final girl thing and do some stuff you almost never see done with it. Right. I think this movie does a better job, or at least to me, it does a more interesting job of it. But we'll get to Boogeyman 3. Yeah. I just really appreciate that Laura's an understated character. Yeah. And then when she's doing her final girl stuff, she seems annoyed. (laughs) Like when she's trying to get people to listen to her, she seems like at the end of her rope the entire time. And I kind of love that scene where they're like, where is everybody after, (laughs) after the, uh, you know, when it's just her, Nikki and Darren left Mm -hmm. and the body's missing is what it is. She finds Allison, Allison, Mae Whitman. (laughs) Can we talk about the cast of this movie? Right. It's just a parade of like, up and coming teen stars of the time. Well, and also, like, well, and some of them were like actually in their mid to late twenties. So yeah, you have Mae Whitman, but she had already done Arrested Development at this yeah. point. Um, yeah. You know, Tobin Bell, obviously. Uh, I want to point out that Renee O'Connor plays Dr. Ryan, who is the second Xena cast member yeah. in this. Gab- Gabrielle, right? Yep, in yeah. Xena and so we had Xena Wallace. in part one, and then now we have Gabrielle we, in part two. That's another thing we didn't talk about in part one. Well, because she's got barely. She's in it. barely in it, but if she's still in. It. It's like you got Lucy Lawless. That's something, Boogeyman. Yeah, I mean, you're doing something right. She can't ever bring something she's in down. Yeah. Oh, and also the guy who plays Paul, Paul is, is in is in three other move or two other movies with Mae Whitman. Perks oh, that's of, right. Scott, Perks of being a wallflower and um, Scott uh, Pilgrim. Scott Pilgrim. Yeah. He's also the the lead guy in uh, Jennifer's Body. He's Chip. Oh yeah. <laughs> That's right. Oh, and his death is that, there's it's another, one of the least gruesome ones. But it's also another one where they just added this little flourish where you're just like, gross. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and it feels, again, the movie feels so Italian because when it's doing these things, it's like, it's not just, you know, the most literal version of it until, until Darren's. And then it's so literal that it's hilarious. Right. But... There's like the, it's like a weird version of it. There's like, they get weird and gross with it every time. They're like, what can we do that's going to make this a little more fucked up? And in that way, it feels very Italian, that, that ambition to it, that like creativity and that dis, like disgust factor is pretty great. Mm-hmm. So yeah, he's a germaphobe and he has to drink cleaning, <laughs> a homemade cleaning solution that he made. That melts his throat yeah. out. <laughs> oh God. And then Mark, who, hey... Was in Seventh Heaven, and Barry Watson, who played Tim in Boogeyman, was also on Seventh Heaven. Mm-hmm. So, Nikki is the only actress I think that like I don't know what else she's done, but I love her in this. She's she's so great. She's my favorite character in the movie. I could see that, yeah, for sure, because she's just like she's so shitty, but also it's because she's so needy. Yeah, she's complex. Yeah, she's and she's self aware. You know what I mean? Like she's she understands herself and like what you know, like that scene where she asks Laura to walk with her, 
Mm-hmm. She's she's there's so much in that of her just being like, look, I know you hate me. You know what I mean? And it's she doesn't say it directly. It's just in the performance. Right. The first thing she says, right, is like, whatever. <laughs> Walks away from Laura when she's being introduced to her. And then Darren makes a shitty bulimia joke. So you're like, fuck you, Darren. And then Laura likes the bulimia joke. So you're like, fuck you, Laura. Mm-hmm. But then later on, you come to love all three of them. Somehow. This movie, how do you do that? How do you immediately, like, these three char- these characters, they all suck. And then over the course of the movie, you're like, actually, I kind of love all of them. This sex scene between Nikki and... Darren. Darren is, hot. is actually really hot and yeah. good. I love it. <laughs> and especially considering that it's intercut with Mae Whitman's death, which is so gross. So gross. Maggots. Ugh. But not just maggots. Maggots in like clumps of skin. Like, yeah, because she's like trying to pull them out and she's ripping her. Okay. Ugh. Yeah. Intercut with like a genuinely like hot, well done sex scene. It's so weird. Yeah. I. This movie's my friend. Yeah. You know who else is my friend? Who? Gloria. <laughs> I love Gloria. Poor Gloria. I love Poor the look Gloria. on her face when like Dr. Ryan sends her to the basement. And she, it's like she knows. She's like, this is it for me. Yeah, she knows she's <laughs> going to die. Because she knows what kind of movie she's in. Like yep. she's the char- I love her because she's, like, she's, ver- she's not in it a lot. Mm-mm. But when she is, she's doing such a great job. She's doing her crossword puzzles. She's chewing her gum. She's wearing, I don't know, what are there palm trees on those scrubs? There's something, there's some cute scrub she's wearing and she's just like over it the whole time. And then, yeah, she knows uh, I'm in a movie with a bunch of teens who have phobia problems and people are dying. And you're sending me to the basement. This is it for me. To check on the phone system, which has gone out. Yeah, no, I'm dead. I also (laughs) love that like Perry, the character of Perry is just fired and gone. The one who sold the weed or gave the oh, weed to yeah, Mark. Yeah. Yeah. And it's also, that's Tom Link. That's like a known actor. He was on Buffy. Wow. Yeah. I, I forgot about him because he's in it so little. He's, but yeah. yeah. He's barely in it. And then he gets fired. And then they just don't have another orderly. So it is Gloria that has to go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so great. Oh, man. Yeah, this movie is my friend. Like, it's, you know, the it, it's weird take on some things, especially the bulimia is like, Yikes. But also, you got to be a little transgressive sometimes. Well, and also, uh, I do feel like it is important to always put movies in the context of their time. You know, Mm -hmm. it's very much like a a very 2000s take on mental illness. Yeah. Like early, like mid, early to mid 2000s. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's honestly, it's kind of admirable for that, for like a movie of that period talking about these things, especially a direct-to-video horror movie that happens to be a sequel to a movie that, like, more or less bombed. Mm. Like, all those things are working against it, yet it somehow manages to also be more respectful than a lot of, like, big-name movies from that time. Again, let's let's just remind people that the 2000s were a really mean time in, in yeah. film, especially, but especially horror. Yeah. Like, so- how long after... Cabin fever is this. It's like that's the stuff we're talking about at the time here, where like slurs are getting thrown around super casually, and you know, there's like overt misogyny going on. Like, and I'm not gonna say there's no misogyny in this film or the next film, or like male gaze, creepy male gaze shit, but both movies seem to do it in a way that is whether it's accidental or not, is like highlighting it mm-hmm. and calling attention to it. The very fact that the sex scene is intercut with Mae Whitman's death is like proof of that. The fact that we just like when it, it like it gives us a weird male gaze thing that I don't feel good about where 
Nikki's looking in the mirror, topless, and it's like it feels like I don't know. It's like is this supposed to be a like yay boobies scene, or is this supposed to be like oh god, she feels really weird about her body, and I feel for her. And I mean, I don't know, maybe this is giving the film too much credit, but if you're talking about the male gaze, I think it's important to acknowledge that Nikki is the one coming into the men's bathroom yeah. where Darren just got out of the shower and she's fully clothed and he's not. Yeah. Um, I mean, again, might be giving the film too much credit, but it is a little, it, it, I don't know, it feels like it gives her a little more agency yeah. in that as opposed yeah. to just like, you and know, it, him pursuing her. Even if it's unintentional, it's it's a byproduct of what I really love about this movie is that it's not afraid to just do something different. Mm-hmm. Like, you never know where it's going. You have a number of red herrings. Mm-hmm. You have a number of characters who can't account for their whereabouts at certain times, and there are, like, that is called attention to. And it doesn't do it in a way that, like, certain Scream sequels do it, where it's just, like, it feels like, okay, we, you guys have argued about this for, like, four minutes. Can we move on? The movie's always moving on. Mm-hmm. And so in that way, it, it, you never know what's going to happen. It always feels exciting, it always feels uncertain. And so even if this stuff is just a byproduct of that, that's something I love about it. And in that way, what like kind of what you said, it is very Italian where it, a lot of shit happens that just feels like it may be in service of the plotting or the whodunit elements, the mystery of it. But it also just it's also fucking weird. And, you know, it, it does keep you on your toes. Like, I remember when it got to the point where pretty much you thought everybody was dead. And I paused it to see how long was left. And there's still over 30 minutes left. And I was like, wait, what the what fuck else how? are we covering yeah. here? Yeah. But it keeps going. Like, it just keeps moving. I mean, and even in the, even at the, towards the end, we were like, oh, there's only five minutes left. It's like, there's still somehow managed to pack a lot more into that. Yeah, oh, the, the final few minutes of this movie has a <laughs> lot going on. <laughs> oh my God. Oh, just a, I mean, one of the best decapitations. Mm-hmm. that I've seen in a long time. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like, and again, with like stages to it, it's like when, I mean, it's, we're talking, I, I think there's like truly like Savini level stuff at work in this movie. Like, it's like Jason in Friday 4, where it's like, first you get the machete in the face and then he falls over and then he slides down on it. Yep. And then, you know what I mean? It's like there's stages to all of these things. And it's like almost each bit of the gag is a movement. And I love that. It's, it's like, yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah. Uh, and that decapitation works that way. <laughs> and Darren's death <laughs> with the fucking tape playing of like, you're afraid she'll open up <laughs> and, and tear rip your, up heart your heart out. <laughs> well, that's literally like with the rib splitter thing. Uh, oh my God. I think that might have been one of the few at least obviously CGI effects or at least CGI enhanced. That's another thing is that there's not a, this movie is mostly practical stuff. Yeah. Which I really appreciate. And yeah. And then the reveal of how this movie connects to the first movie Mm -hmm. is fucking chef's kiss. Like it's so stupid, (laughs) but it's so great. And it comes in the last like 20 minutes of the movie or something. It's like in the third act is when it's revealed like, how this movie has anything to do with the with the previous movie. Right. Well, and it's 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 weird. It's <laughs> it's dumb, but it it's also mean. It's mean it's and mean sad. En- it's mean enough and sad enough and weird enough that like it almost erases how dumb it is. Yeah. And it makes it kind of almost amazing. It's amazing because it's <laughs> like you here's the thing. It, this is what I love about it. It's this movie saying, no, the last movie's my friend. You know what I mean? Because this movie could have completely just ignored it. Could have yeah. just had, I mean, that's probably not true. Eric Kripke probably had like some kind of contract clause 
when uh, when the script for the first movie was produced where he probably like had a, a stake in any sequels mm-hmm. so so that he would get the based on characters by credit which is why he has a credit in this movie and in Boogeyman 3 is because it does bother to connect them so maybe that's purely just a contract thing so maybe the movie couldn't have said we didn't need to do this but like all, there's like a there's like a thing about it that feels very much to me of like you would think we'd be embarrassed by that last movie and that we'd want to unburden ourselves of it the way something like maybe Halloween 2018 does. Mm-hmm. We're not doing that because we're friends. <laughs> but like ex-friends maybe because yeah. the way they do it is a it's little like, like, you know, like oh moving. yeah, now moving that, on. that character that, that survived the last one, oh, he killed himself. He killed himself and, it, and he was a patient here. Yeah, and, and he killed himself because thing. he had a bad doctor. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> killed himself because fucking Jigsaw is running the psychiatric program here. <laughs> good lord (laughs) but yeah it has that you know that saw feel to it not just because of Tobin Bell but because of the like the nastiness the meanness Mm -hmm. uh, the punishing approach of it the indiscriminate punishing almost and yeah she's my friend yep and also like the boogeyman look is cool he's like oh that mask is amazing yeah it's like chrome he's like a it's like the Slipknot boogeyman. He looks like he's a member of Slipknot with that mask and the, the hoodie. It's not a jumpsuit, but yeah, it's got like weird hair plugs coming out of it, but it's also kind of chrome skull. Yeah, it's it's a very interestingly constructed mask. And the fact that it's it's clearly like meant to be an artistic representation that spoilers Henry makes mm-hmm. because he's an artist. He's explicitly a good artist too. That painting is great. That's yeah. up in his his old room. I think it's weird that it's left in his room. Yeah, right. I but mean, like it's still good. But then the, when we get the flashback to his experience when the boogeyman, you know, came, <laughs> it's not that mask. It's like it's what that mask is meant to represent, and it's a really cool mask that they have for that for that boogeyman creature. Well, and I love the the playoff of the two: the chrome yeah. mask versus the actual yeah. face of the boogeyman. Yeah. Like it's just it's. Yeah, it's like an abstraction of it. Yeah, exactly. I, and it's like you get to see like, oh yeah, he's an artist. This is how an artist would process this. Like, mm-hmm. it's so cool. And the ending of Boogeyman 2 is a little ambiguous. Like certain things, of course, are certain. <laughs> like mm-hmm. whether certain people are dead or alive and who did what killings. It's all resolved. But there's still this lingering question of like, okay, was Henry just crazy? Like, was he? did he just snap from the trauma of yeah. seeing his parents murdered? Did he murder his parents? Yeah, who murdered his parents? Yeah. Was it an actual person? And was the boogeyman that he saw in the closet real or not? Yeah, and if it was real, did it then take possession of him and that's why he's doing these killings? You know what I mean? Like, it's all a little messy. Mm-hmm. The third movie actually says, hey, we're going to answer some of those questions. Some. Some, not all. You know, and in that way, I like that. I love that it's like it's willing to just let certain things go, you know. Yeah, I appreciate that. Unsolved. Okay, but Boogeyman 3, so it connects through Dr. Mitchell's daughter, Audrey. Just to summarize, brief summary of this movie. We get that connection through Audrey, Audrey Allen, Dr. Mm -hmm. Allen's daughter, who goes home after uh, after her father died and finds a journal that talks about how Dr. Allen was actually starting to believe in the boogeyman. And then the boogeyman starts (laughs) coming after her. And basically, then she goes back to school. She dies. It sets off her friend Sarah to explore and and investigate this. Their friend group starts getting picked off one by one. And essentially, the idea is that the more people believe in the boogeyman, the more power the boogeyman has and the more it can come after people. Yeah. Essentially. Yeah. It's a little... 
messy. Eh, it's yeah, it's pretty messy. But it has the same vibe as the previous movie in that it it's rarely doing what you expect it to do. And the stuff you expect it to do, it's doing a little more weirdly than you expect. And it has an Italian feel to it again. Like, it, it, this is one of those movies where, again, without the presence of certain actors, and if you, although I don't even know if the presence of certain actors has an effect, really. But yeah, if this is another movie where if you had overdubbed it, right, and told me this is an Italian ripoff of J-horror, mm-hmm. I would be like, I buy that. I see that. Yeah. <laughs> I honestly think this movie's biggest problem is its budget. I think that if it had come out like, say, 15 years earlier and been all practical effects or come out like 10 years later and had better CGI, it could have solved a lot of its issues. What I will say about that is that I, I, the CGI here is never the focus. It's always used to complement practical stuff or to enhance practical stuff. There's very few occasions where I feel like the CG... Now, granted, it still it still looks crude. Mm-hmm. It's still very obviously not practical. Like, you can see the artifice of it. But that almost makes me like it more. Like, that almost gives it this, like, surreal feeling of, again, it's not... And I admire that when, like, a filmmaker... Because this is a, clearly a filmmaker who understands that, like, the best effects are practical and you know, uh, digital working in tandem with each other as as opposed to digital effects being the showcase. You know, it's like, we have a practical effect that we're going to, like, put a digital tweak on. It's just that they didn't have the money, you know, but they they probably knew that and still went ahead with it anyway, which I admire, but... I mean, yeah, and, and a lot of times it's I'm fine with it. Yeah. I think where it bothered me the most and is when, is honestly with the boogeyman itself and I and specifically how they used a lot of that obnoxious like 2000s editing jerky style yeah. to mask the like poor CGI that they were trying to do with the boogeyman. Well, I'll say this, I actually thought that it wasn't as I'm maybe I'm just more cynical but like I was I admired that it didn't have as much herky jerky j-horror movement stuff in it as like other films of the time and other films that get made now i mean you're right it didn't have as much but it (laughs) still had enough to like yeah it felt i think this is why is it felt the amount in there felt like it was used as a cover-up for other things yeah i have a lot to say about this particular boogeyman okay the, the the character itself but I see your point about the effects. It's just, it's for some reason, I I like it. Because I can still see the practical effects that are there. And it does feel weird. And that's just a dumb thing that I... Like, I like, you know, movies from the 60s and 70s where you can see the stop motion. You know, like, you can see, like, okay. the, the artifice, the craftsmanship of it a little bit, you know. It's digital here, so it's not as tactile. And I think that's what a lot of people's problems with it is. And I can fully understand that. But it just looks weird enough for me to be like, eh, that's that's I like that. I don't okay. know. I, I mean, that's fair. You're just you're more forgiving of it than I. Yeah, am. I think that's yeah, I think that's what it comes down to. I have a bigger heart than you. That's we knew um, this. <laughs> <laughs> so, but hey, she's both of our friends. Yeah, um, yeah. Boogeyman Three is my friend. Again, we get some weird accents because this was shot in Bulgaria as opposed to the U.S. And there's a lot of Bulgarian actors in it. Yeah, it is some interesting but honestly with with a couple exceptions i like the characters in two better but i love this group of characters they're really interesting they're all very interesting i think the only one who doesn't get 
his time to really shine is Lucas. Yeah. Lucas, they he's like a stoner gamer stereotype, yeah. you know? And his death is pretty unceremonious, but it also feels kind of relatable to me. Because <laughs> you're a stoner Because I'm also a stoner uh, kind of gamer. Not really gamer gamer, but like... You game. I Yeah, I play some games. But like, he's so high and he's like, when he leans over the bed to try to pick up the broken bong stuff and he's like oh man i freaked myself out like i know what that's like Mm -hmm. to get yourself too paranoid and you're like oh i gotta quit smoking weed i relate to that yeah Yeah. (laughs) but yeah i agree with you we needed more of him for sure but i i feel like i loved what we got from almost everybody else my favorite okay your favorite in two is Nikki. I feel like the version of Nikki I love even more in this is Lindsay. Lindsay, Lindsay I fucking I, I love, love Lindsay. Lindsay. Yeah. Everything that comes out of her mouth makes her so much more fascinating. She seems annoyed as fuck in every scene. She's she feels like it seems she feels like she's I don't want to be here. You know? Right. <laughs> like it's just and I love that. I don't know. There's a quality to that that I really love. And I think, yeah, she was another one where I looked up the actress and I was like, oh man. I would love to see her in more things because she just, it's just a weird take on this role that I love. And there's like almost an implicit, it feels like they imply a couple times an affair between her and David, Sarah's boyfriend. Mm. Maybe I was just picking up on shots that lingered too long or something, but like there was, I feel like there was a subplot maybe that was, that was removed. Interesting. I I did not pick up on that, but I, I can see it. Maybe I just want them to be together. They do fit. They're both really hot. Yeah. yeah. I mean, everybody in this movie is hot. Yeah. I think the hottest is Ben, the pledge. Oh, the, the Porky's guy, the creep. I'm, I mean like looks wise. Oh, okay. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, I love Lindsay. I love when she's like talking about, you know, the rumor that they're putting cameras in the women's locker room and she goes, I'm not going to end up on the internet again. Again. Yeah. also right after the reveal that she showered in her bikini and to even like make that a thing you know they're really like selling that that like b-plot about that which also leads to ben being in the vents when he's putting these trying to put these cameras in the girl's shower area Mm -hmm. like it like helps sell this myth of the boogeyman that's going around and this paranoia that people are like women when they are looking up and seeing like people watching them places you know and they don't know is that the boogeyman or is it fucking ben with his cameras which i love because like it is this like ongoing background commentary throughout this of all these characters like making comments about being watched or being like seeing creepy things and it's like all these extras this movie has a ton of like (sighs) it feels weird for me to say feminist but it has a lot of critique, social critique in it that feels very feminist to me or very feminist forward, very feminist ally. Like the, the very fact that like Sarah's whole thing becomes trying to convince people that the boogeyman is real and no one will listen to her. So like she's not being believed and yeah. people keep dying. But like in the background, people are starting to believe. And yeah. you see like this, like it's like groupthink forming. But but it's so like, it's so, it's almost subtle. For a yeah. movie like this, it's subtle. Yeah. And then it turns out that the more people that believe, the stronger that he gets. And so that like the whole time she's just been feeding him. Yeah. Yeah. And now the whole dorm believes it. Yeah. Which is kind of a Nightmare on Elm Street part four. Mm-hmm. You know? 
in that like Freddie's using Kristen and then uh, Alice to like bring him her friends. And that's what the boogeyman is doing here is like spread the word, baby. Right. Yeah. And, and so then it becomes a thing where she has to do the opposite. She has to figure out how to get people yeah. to not believe in the boogeyman. And there's a lot of stuff going on in Sarah's character and Sarah's character traits that make her perfect for that role. Mm-hmm. You know, she's, she's a therapist who can't help want, or she's a therapist in, in training. Yeah, she's, she's studying to be a psychiatrist. Un- yeah. Uh, undergrad right undergrad, now, right? Yeah. yeah. Which can I just say, I fucking love that this movie does this for our final girl where it's like, she has trauma. Her mom died. Mm-hmm. Right. And pretty, her mom killed herself. Her right? mom hung herself. Yeah. So when she f- sees the, finds the first victim, and she even, yeah. like, it's triggering because this victim was presented as if she hung herself, Audrey. And yeah. she even acknowledges that. She's like, I think I've been triggered by that. Well, and also because Audrey's father just died. Mm-hmm. So it's violently. So it's like, there's there's like, I understand what it's like to lose a parent. And now the person who lost a parent is dying in the same way that I lost my parent. You know what I mean? So it's like all of that is just triggering the shit out of her. But what I love about her is that it it really breaks free of that, oh, she's just her trauma. Yeah. You know, they really lean heavily on her her undergrad degree and how she's really push, pursuing well, her this. her making the mix CD for that guy. I mean, like it's a poorly written way to do it, but it's there mm-hmm. and it feeds that character. And it adds layers. Yeah. And it I don't know, it just gives her more depth rather than, oh, she's just her trauma. Yeah, she has way more depth. It, this is in Boogeyman 3. <laughs> <laughs> than like a good number of like Final Girl and, and you know, protagonist characters of that time. Mm-hmm. They're doing a lot more with it. They do a lot with the college setting in general that I Which, admire. Oh my God, can I just say I fucking love... I've always loved this setting in movies, but like the the end of school year yeah. setting, yeah. you know, where people are like packing up, you know, there's just this sense of like everything ending. I love that so much. Yeah. Well, and like, and, the, and it gives little things like when Ben first can't talk because he's pledging mm-hmm. and this rule is he can't speak. Like they're actually doing something with that setting. And yeah, the, the pe- people packing the senioritis of it all, the like... Everyone being like, who gives a shit? We only have a couple more days. Right. You know? And even the stuff with Jeremy refusing to pack himself and like leaving all that labor for Lindsay to do. Like Lindsay is basically mothering him and he's just a dick who's not going to do his own shit. And there's even a commentary in that when it's like basically like pack yourself and then he literally gets packed <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> into his trunk himself. Like it's yeah, it's like what I think she even says something like it's not going to pack itself and then he pa- basically packs himself. It's great. It's so good, but yeah, it also is part of that backdrop of that like that very relatable, very specific time and place for people. And God, yeah, it really does a lot with it. And in the with, in the case of Ben not talking, I love it because she says something shitty to him about like, thank God you can't talk. Yeah, finally. And, yeah, and you're kind of like, what an asshole, Sarah. But then when Ben starts talking, you're like, no, she was right. Fuck this guy. He's awful. Right. He needs to shut up. <laughs> he's such a dickhead. But he's awful in just such a like freshman college boy way. Yeah, which... <sighs> I feel like all of the male characters in this movie are presented in some form of that, mm-hmm. of the like shitty, and even her professor, Roger Kane, who 
hey, let's talk. You want to talk about bad psychiatrists, bad therapists? This guy is a doozy. Right. Why is he? T- this motherfucker's going to get me tooed. Like 100%. <laughs> this guy's got some. There are some TAs with some stories about him. Mm-hmm. He is such a dickhead. He's such a bad therapist. There's even that bit where he's, because they have that show together, him and Look, Sarah. Uh, him and Sarah. Him and Sarah. Headspace. Headspace. <laughs> On WZXB. The, the call-in psychiatry, which is such a specific choice. But the scene where the girl is ta- called in and is talking about her boyfriend being insistent about sex and Kane sort of being like talking around it. And I love the way that scene is used to illustrate that Sarah's completely checked out. Mm-hmm. And is completely like dissociating and like caught up with other shit. I love that. I love any time you give me a, like a protagonist who's like fucking up at work because of <laughs> shit. You know, I love that's a big convention. I love fucking up the fucking up at work trope. Okay, and that's what she's doing here. But that girl is talking about like her boyfriend is debating her consent, and Roger Kane's response to this is like, there might be some bigger problem in your relationship. Which you're right. But also, just come right out and say, your boyfriend is debating your consent. He doesn't deserve a conversation. You should leave him. <laughs> like, like that's what he should be saying to her. But he's probably busy relating to him. Ex- exactly. He's very busy being like, well, I don't know. Maybe this guy's got a point. He just seems bad. And every time he's with Sarah and he's like, he's like, at one point he's like, it's your guilt. And he then proceeds to make her feel guilty about her guilt. Everything he says is assertion or declaration and like face your fear nonsense. But you know what I fucking love never, about all that is that like it's done in this way of like him thinking he's being her mentor. Yeah. Uh, you know, like it's done in this way that feels like that's the, like that. I know that yeah, person. Yeah. I know that doctor. And that's why like I kind of want to give this movie a lot of credit because it's like it's representing him in a negative light. Mm-hmm. The movie's not on his side. And he gets punished for and it. And he gets punished for it. And it's not on the side of her boyfriend, David, who's also constantly telling her she's, you know, being hysterical or who whatever. Also gets punished. Who also gets punished. And all of this, all of these male characters, they feel pointedly shitty. Mm-hmm. And that, like, and, and it's through like a feminist filter, it seems. Like Jeremy, who's trying to have his girlfriend be the mother figure. You know, like, and he needs to be buried. It's almost like Jeremy has weaponized incompetence. Right? Oh my God. Yeah, totally. And then Kane, who's like the gaslighting male figure in power who, I mean, I appreciate that the movie never like makes that a sexual thing, but it still knows it's not right what he's doing. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I you're right. I applaud that choice specifically because i think that that's a part of toxic masculinity that doesn't maybe get as much attention exactly masculinity gets sexualized so often like the toxic masculinity that like having somebody still be like a overbearing gaslighting kind of manipulative prick yeah you know can also be non-sexual yeah exactly it feels like the instinct there the storytelling instinct the obvious impulse is to make it sexual Mm -hmm. but then you are then like leaving a lot of stuff in the in you know kind of hanging out to dry because it's not like yeah sometimes it's not sexual like yeah this guy yeah he never tried to fuck me but he was still awful right and constantly made me feel like i was losing my mind and questioning me you know and never clearly never interested in what i was actually going through or what my perspective on a thing was like it doesn't have to be rapey for that to be shitty mm-hmm. and i like yeah i like that and then it's it and then we get david the gaslighting boyfriend <laughs> who's 
who just doesn't believe a thing she says and might be cheating on her. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, well, and even his like his way of expressing care feels very condescending. Yeah, yeah, it you does. Know? Yeah. I mean, he is, at the end, he is right. That is the other thing, is the movie does kind of sympathize with everyone in a way. Like, when he's like, you're not dealing with the stuff with your mom, and you lying to me about your dad. Like, this is the thing. Sarah is not responding to a lot of things very well. Right. And you can see why. She's not getting a lot of support. But, like, she should be calling her dad. She should be trying to deal with that. She is, she is avoiding it. And, but, and David's right to try to send her home. I mean, yeah. I feel like his way of approaching it is a little, a it's, little blamey, a little aggressive. Yes. Like, I think he could have been gentler about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. And again, it's like, well, he's just shitty in the way that all, like, early 20s straight dudes are shitty. Yeah. <laughs> all the men in this, they're, minus Dr. Kane, they're lovably shitty. They're shitty that's like, you, you, you have potential. I can, you can fi- I, yeah, I can, I can fix, fix you. <laughs> I can fix you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Jeremy gets fixed. They all get fixed. I had just, you know, not in the way we might have hoped. Yeah. Yeah, it leads to this. And then when the movie ends, it leads to this kind of like all of this like possibly feminist take, you know, this critique. The idea, right, is that like nobody believes her, you know. And so David's whole thing is he doesn't believe her. And I'm like, yeah, David doesn't believe women. Every time she's like, yeah, 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 yeah. It's the boogeyman. He's like, no, it's not. It can't be the boogeyman. The second he reads Mitchell Allen's journal, he calls her up and is like, I was wrong. You were right. And it's like... It took a man. It took a man. You had to read a (laughs) dead man's words. (laughs) Like a guy you don't even know. But because he's a man, you trust him. Yeah. Yeah. Like that is text. (laughs) He only believes it when a man tells him over his girlfriend. I kind of love that detail. Yeah. Believe women. And then it's genius too, because at the end when she makes that final girl stance, right. Of like taking blame for the murders so that the boogeyman doesn't have that power and immediately like, okay, she's one, but the cop doesn't believe her. Mm-hmm. It's misogyny that does her in because he won't believe that she has the strength to rip someone apart like that. He just won't believe a woman could do it. Man, I didn't even think about that, but that is like a genius final touch. And that's what leads to her death. And that's what leads to her being killed by the boogeyman. Is like, well, you'd served your purpose. Now I can take you away. Mm-hmm. I just needed misogyny to step in. And this, I feel like this movie might even have something to say about internalized misogyny in the sense that like Sarah doesn't believe Audrey. And she also doesn't even believe uh, Lindsay when Lindsay's like, they're putting cameras in the, oh, yeah. the vents. And she's like, that's not a thing. Like th- these yeah, women don't believe true. each other until she's getting comeuppance for being a part of the problem. Mm-hmm. And it's like when they can't even, and when Lindsay kind of takes a stand against uh, Sarah, that's like right before she dies when she's like, kind of has that enough is enough moment. That's when she goes to the laundry room. Yeah. <laughs> the laundry room scene. I love it so much. <laughs> that's one that I feel like just needed a little bit bigger of a budget. Well, it, yeah, I agree. Like, so that's one of the, when she gets pulled in that you can be like, okay, this effect is fucking, that's weird. Mm-hmm. Um, but also you can tell that there's act. It's like when the ceiling's bleeding, you know? Yeah. And the stuff with the corpse, the corpse. I love the I corpse. I love all hallway. that. Yeah. I, I love her hallucinations. Italian. Her hallucinations are so great. They're so great. You know what I fucking love? Uh, like a, a, a moment 
that I think is just amazing is when he's in the vents and the boogeyman's body just drops. Yeah. Like it feels like a moment in like a Resident Evil video game yeah. when like, you know, one of those creatures will like fall in front of you and you're like, what the fuck is this? Yeah. And then it comes to life and attacks you. Like it's like great. I think this movie, I do think that a lot of its uh, its visual storytelling and what it chooses to do with effects and whether they're practical or digital, it does demonstrate like a desire to be a horror movie, you know, like it's it, more so I think than the other two, even with the gore in part two, like this movie has constructed horror beats that are like, huh, I see what you're doing here. And I kind of like, I love when she's in the closet and it, it, it comes in behind her, mm-hmm. you know, like it's so simple, but I really like, I love the way that they do it. And I love when she, when, it's, when she first hears the noise, her, what she says is, Oh my God. <laughs> just the OMG. Sorry, yes. Yeah, so Lindsay in the laundry room. Is yeah. I mean, I love Ele- I love the blood pouring out of yeah. the laundry. I love when her body gets when found. Her, when her body slides out, it, oh my god. <laughs> and the sound effect there. Yeah, that <laughs> plop. Yeah, the plop. <laughs> there should the my complaint about that scene is there should have been more noises leading up to the girl finding her. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like the noises should it could have been weirder or louder or more distressing. Like that were coming out of the washing machine, it was barely really much. You could have done something really interesting with that sound design, and they just didn't. But I also think like, and I'm trying to remember exactly the moment, but there's this moment when the blood is pouring out and she's on the chair and like, then he rises out of the blood and there's a moment where it becomes practical before it goes digital again, where I'm like, that's what I wanted more of. Yeah. Like, and it's, it's that like discrepancy between the two that I feel like this movie, it just, it has so many great ideas. It just, I just wanted a little, a few more million dollars thrown its way. Yeah. Well, but (laughs) don't, she's our friend. Yeah. Oh, you know what? You're right. You're right. She's our friend. (laughs) Yeah, you know what? Boogeyman 3 is a she. So, okay. <laughs> I, I do kind of want to talk about this because, and this is why I really love this boogeyman, this, the figure, the antagonist, is that in addition to it being explicitly supernatural, mm-hmm. you know, like it has Candyman rules or Freddy rules, you know, it is a supernatural entity. And I love that. I love that like the previous movie was, well, is it people? Or is it, the, is it the darkness within us? Or is there actually a thing? We don't know. It's a slasher movie. Fucking go with it. And this movie's like, yeah, actually, there's a ghost. <laughs> there's like a thing. There's a creature, a demon, and whatever. Mm-hmm. And, but I love that it's a yurei. It's a Japanese horror ghost. It's, it's one of those figures. But it's a man. There's like a gender fuck to that. There's a gender play to the fact that it's the boogeyman. But... With a lot of this like femme read to it, you know, the long hair, the dress, the fact that it's like when we're used to seeing that figure, even by 2009, we're used to that figure being a woman. True. The ghost of a woman. And in this, it's a, it's a man, but like, I mean, he's huge, mm-hmm. but he's got that long hair and he's got a witch look to him, which is very gendered. And the Japanese ghost look, which is very gendered. But also, like, it just kind of there's an androgyny to it. I don't know. Yeah. I, I feel like I want to be like, yeah, the name's Boogeyman, but she, her, baby. <laughs> like, okay. Like, and not to, not to assume the Boogeyman's pronouns, but this Boogeyman, there's like a, there is a, 
there's an acknowledgement of gender stuff to it that I really love in the figure itself, themselves, herself. You know, that is interesting because if you think about it, like the first boogeyman is very much like a, a neutral, like yeah. non-gendered yeah. supernatural entity. In the second one, it is very masculine. Very masculine. And yeah. in this one, yeah, it's it's androgynous, but not in the way of the first one. The first one has no sex. Yeah, this this one, one, it's like a... Or like a, a femme read, non-binary. Like it's yeah. like it's like playing with both sides. Of it, it really, you know? yeah, it's playing with both sides because there's like this grunting, but there's also kind of a feminine laughter to it. I also really love that this boogeyman has a sense of humor. Mm, yeah, and it does. In the scene where she fights him off, her off, them. I'm just gonna say them. I feel yeah. weird. She fights them off in the closet. They are weak. Like, and it's, it's, it's an acknowledgement of the, like, well, this boogeyman needs you to get more people to believe to be at full strength. And that's never, I don't know if that's ever said explicitly, but it reads in that scene because the, the boogeyman is suddenly clumsy and suddenly it feels like in her movements. I really love the performance at work in this boogeyman because it feels like there's a physicality a physical intelligence to it, you know? Because it seems like, especially in that closet fight scene, it seems like this boogeyman is used to having more power and is used to being, and it's like almost frustrated by their clumsiness or their inability to make, to like really overpower Sarah. I mean, it's a thing that, that you know, is almost a call back to, uh, this is a much better version of Freddy in Freddy versus Jason. Yeah, yeah. You know, where he's like angry because people forgot him so he doesn't have that power, Yeah, you know? And it feels kind of similar here of like she can't, they can't sustain what they need to quite yet, mm -hmm. you know? I love that. And I just, I love that about this boogeyman. <laughs> the one thing I will counter with is that the whole plot of how this boogeyman needs people to talk about them, to believe in them, to increase its power, that's very toxically masculine. Mm. Actually, you know what? I take that back. Yeah, I was going to say, I think that's... Men just feel like they have automatic power. Yeah, well, and that might be internalized, uh, you know, patriarchy here. That might be, like, girl boss, <laughs> you know? <laughs> <laughs> Fucking the, this boogeyman is a girl boss. This boogeyman in their first appearance has some sass when they kill Audrey. Like there's there's like a, a movement and like a fucking I'm here and I'm gonna do what I want to do to it. Like mm -hmm. I love that. So and the, yeah, the look is kind of generic. It's kind of like what maybe you would expect the boogeyman in the first boogeyman movie to look like. It's a little vague, but also like there's a clear personality at work. The gender stuff is there for me. And just the size of them. The size of this they boogeyman. They're like so tall. And I just, I love them. It's It feels like someone doing Samara drag. Like it feels like a really <laughs> yeah. big guy doing Samara drag. Mm -hmm. And I love that. Yeah, okay, respect. So FMK, the three boogeymen. Okay, um... I think I'm going to marry two, kill one, fuck three. Same Sorry. as same as my Marry movies. two, yeah. fuck three, kill one? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, see, I'm a marry. I'm same for the movies, too. I'm a... Marry three. I'm a marry three, and then fuck two. Oh, because, yeah. Jesus. Slipknot Boogeyman? Mm. I want to fuck Slipknot Boogeyman. Please. Yeah. And then kill the CGI, like, whatever 
no personality fucking boogeyman. That's, that boogeyman's basically not a boogeyman. It's barely a boogeyman. Yeah. That boogeyman is more like a like a wind, you know? <laughs> like right. a force that's out there, like a final destination thing, but it's barely present. Yeah, it kind of looks like this action figure the kid had, I guess. I mean, it's almost as if that boogeyman is his repressed homosexuality. Yeah. <laughs> oh, there it is. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> You know, people say that about uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 2. I don't think Freddie represents Jesse's repressed homosexuality. I think Freddie represents Jesse's internalized homophobia. Mm-hmm. That's a whole conversation. But yeah, in this movie, that is, that's it. The boogeyman, <laughs> the boogeyman is Tim's repressed homosexuality. And that's why it comes after his girlfriend first. Yeah. That's why it know? wants to force him out of the closet. Mm-hmm. That's the other thing is maybe these three movies could be seen as like parables on the dangers of immersive therapy or immersion therapy. Mm. Like all these people are all about face your fears. And then the minute they do, they get killed. Right. (laughs) Don't face your fears. Maybe is the lesson here. I also think that three has this great like little meta bit about storytelling in it. You know, like legends and why we tell stories. You know, they have that. She has that conversation, like the psychological perspective of the importance of stories right. and culture yeah uh and it's like a, it's very candy man or urban legends or nightmare on elm street like new nightmare and scream mm-hmm. it's kind of a scream thing and i don't know i honestly think that that dialogue in that scene is really good like the way that they go through it is good i also do like it because it's like it's not it's not bad dialogue but it's also very undergrad dialogue you know what i mean like it's like it's like she's like writing a paper in her head already yeah yeah, exactly. Yeah, and the, the the teacher's kind of like used to being like, "Well, I gotta push back against that," you know, and that's maybe why he's doing it. Yeah, it's kind of it's fun. Uh, a lot of the, yeah, the dialogue in two as well. That whole scene between Nikki and Darren in the shower before they fuck, and then even after, like when they have their fight about it, like I really like the way that was handled. Both the script and the performances. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also, both these movies, two and three have something I really like, which is uh, a tracking shot where the threat appears in the background, but is not pronounced or like applauded. Yeah. yeah. You know, like with Audrey in her room where she like walks past the closet yeah. and he's just standing there. Yeah. And then, um, Darren, when he comes back, right before he gets killed. And it's like a moment, like he's walking across his room and you can like clearly see Mm -hmm. the boogeyman in the background. But I love it when like attention isn't called to that, you know? Yeah. Well, yeah. Cause like, like in that's, that's Michael Myers. That's Halloween. That's like, that's the stuff we do, but it seems like such a no brainer, but there are a lot of filmmakers that don't get that. that Especially not in the 2000s. A lot of goodwill. Yeah. You know, like their subtlety got thrown out the window in a lot of 2000s horror. Yeah. Like nobody wanted to just like let something exist. Everything had to be, have big, big yeah. neon signs pointing yeah. at it. <laughs> Thank God for the DTV movies of that time. Then, <laughs> right? That's what got us through. <laughs> yeah, there's just, I just really love, I love being friends with Boogeyman 2 and 3. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're good friends. So then, okay, fuck, Mary kill the three notorious Boogeyman killers, uh, aka our final folks mm-hmm. Sarah, Laura, and Tim. This is where I'm going to flip. Mmm. Mary, Sarah, fuck Laura, kill Tim. Although, although, I could be the one to take Tim out of the closet Yeah, for him. see, I think, yeah. I, I might fuck Tim and, and kill Sarah. Tim also... I mean, kill Laura. Tim also... This is, okay, this is maybe misogyny talking. 
Tim seems like the most easy to get along with. <laughs> I feel like his as crazy as he comes off as like unstable as and unhinged as he can come off, like he seems pretty subtle about it or like subdued, you know? Okay. So, well, yeah. Like, Sarah and Laura's things are a little more uh, aggressive. Yeah. I think my my Mary is Laura. Mhm. My fuck is Sarah. And your kill yeah, is I Tim. I think my kill is Tim. I, I'm gonna switch mine. My, my fuck is Tim. My Mary is Sarah. My kill is Laura. Okay. Fair. But you know, it's it's a narrow line. Yeah, it is. I mean, I do love that Laura again by the end of her, even when she's a final girl at the end there, she's just being a dick to everybody. Like when she puts tape on Oh <laughs> Dr. my god, Ryan's that's face. so fucked up, but I love it so much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But also there's something like admirable about Sarah's like sacrifice at the end there where, you know, like that's her final girl moment is like not embracing a phallic weapon, but doing the like, I'm sacrificing myself for the greater good here. They're like, she does the Spock thing. (laughs) Well, and I, I don't know. It's really surprisingly drawn out for a movie like this, but I love her walk from the dorm room to the elevator where she's covered in blood and she just, she's like holding herself high, but not in this like cocky way, just in this way of like this of conviction. We stand a quiet, dignified woman covered in blood. (laughs) (laughs) Is that misogynistic? I mean, I mean, look, I can't apologize for it, whatever it is. Yeah. No, because I'm applauding her agency in a desperate situation Man, look being covered in blood's kind of hot what do you want me to say about it i mean it? anybody covered in blood yeah. is hot. yeah there's a reason we do this people right there's a reason we cover people in blood like you know for example i also love blood splatter like but yeah. uh laura in part two when when nikki dies and oh she just gets God. splattered with blood God. and then she's like covered in blood for the rest yeah. of the movie oh god and that's not just any blood that's that's neck bubble blood. Oh, God, yeah, <laughs> I forgot to mention this last week that that's something that the Final Destination movies do a lot that I love is like somebody being present for somebody else's death and just and being getting, showered with blood. Getting some blood on them. But <laughs> nobody more so than than Mary Elizabeth Winstead's character in part three. Oh, like wow, almost yeah. every death, she just gets showered in blood. And I, I love it every time. <laughs> Maybe that's why she's my favorite. Maybe. So, okay. All right. <laughs> I think we've done good work here today. Yeah. Boogeyman 2 and Boogeyman 3 are our friends, and we got some nice things to say about Boogeyman 1. I will say, if you don't want to watch Boogeyman, you don't need to. No, you can just jump right to 2 and 3. And they're both streaming on Crackle right now, so Mm -hmm. dive in. Yeah, have fun. And Boogeyman 1 isn't even streaming anywhere, so like, Yeah, so like, she doesn't even go here. Yeah. That's the thing. Like, Boogeyman's two and three are our friends. Boogeyman one doesn't even yeah. go to this school. Look, I mean, I don't hate Boogeyman. If Boogeyman two and Boogeyman three, if we like call them up and we're like, hey, we want to go to the mall, you want to come? And they're like, well, we told Boogeyman we'd hang out with her today. Then we'd just be like, that's fine. Bring her along. She's okay. Yeah. You know? Yeah, we're not uninviting Boogeyman to you know? even like small group gatherings. And and she's even better when she's with two and three, you know? Because they right. can get her to come out of her shell a little bit. They like are nicer to her than most people. So if we go to the mall and we hear people talking shit about Boogeyman, we can be like, no, she's our friend. Mm-hmm. Leave her alone. You're, you're, you're so right. Boogeyman would be nowhere without Boogeyman two and three. We yeah. would never have done this. I mean, absolutely not. So thank you, Boogeyman 2 and Boogeyman 3, for bringing your friend Boogeyman into our friend group. Mm -hmm. 
You're a great trio. Because we would not have hung out with her again. No, without never. you two. Because I mean, look, the one time we hung out, it was embarrassing. <laughs> and we just needed you two to tell us, like, hey, that she just gets that way when she's nervous. Yeah, yeah give her another chance. Yeah. <laughs> all right. I love when she's wa- Sarah's walking by those the girls in the dorm. Like all of this stuff that's used towards the end to like sell the idea that people are starting to believe in the boogeyman is so funny to me. When she walks by the the random girl's dorm and the girl's on the phone and she's like, yeah, it was the boogeyman. I heard it on the radio. That's why she killed herself. (laughs) And then the other girl's like, do you know what else is weird? (laughs) Jeremy and Lucas are still missing or whatever they say about it. All those little side conversations are just great. I fucking love it all. Oh, man. These are fun movies. This is also a movie shot in Bulgaria that like, Really just says, like, we're shooting where we can afford to shoot, so we're going to put the money on the screen. And I don't think you can say that about a lot of the... Like, a lot of horror sequels have been shot in Bulgaria, and it's very rare that I'll look at one of them and be like, yeah, it was worth it. It was (laughs) worth it to shoot there because you saved money so you could do this thing. It's like, I look at them and I'm like, where's the fucking money? Where's all that money you saved by shooting here? This movie, you can see it for the most part, even Mm -hmm. though... You know, some of the digital effects are badly aged. I mean, yeah, I think that's more the timing of it. Yeah, than yeah it's like this in Texas Chainsaw Massacre. <laughs> the 20, the recent right. Oh, one. Oh, right, yeah, yeah. yeah. Not so much Leatherface. Although Leatherface, they kind of got some bang for their buck. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's it, it, the movie is well shot. It looks good. Yeah. You know what? If you want to know our thoughts on Leatherface, you can go listen to our Say hey, Something we Nice did a say about something nice Leatherface. About it. Yeah. yeah. And we go. said nice things about we it. We did say nice things about it. Okay. So that's, but that's all we have to say about the Boogeyman movies. Until we turn on our gaydar for Boogeyman 1. (laughs) I feel weird calling it that. (laughs) And until then, uh, we will see you next week if we're still alive. I don't know. Everybody's gone. You know, you might want to watch how hard you sell that. (laughs) What do you have, Easter bunny phobia? Nikki's so shitty. I fucking love Nikki so much. Where are you going? Haven't you heard? I'm going crazy. (laughs) That's my favorite. (laughs) Haven't you heard? I'm going crazy. (laughs) Have some sex for me. (laughs) (laughs) Have you ever said that to somebody? Actually, yes. I actually have said that to somebody. (laughs) And the response was similar to Lindsay's. You know I will. (laughs) Okay. Until next week. Bye, good luck. TTFN.